0: Let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, please help us all to engage with these stories in a way you want us to. Um, Please uh, shake up our world um, where we're complacent. Encourage us where we're low to lift our eyes to Christ, the only one who can restore us to you, Father. Amen. Okay, so uh, we're in the book of Mark. Uh, Have it in front of you. It's worth looking at the whole way through. Um, So we're going to start with Part one. The book of Mark uh, is super fast-paced, you see, so it's a little bit like more like an action movie than it is like, I don't know, a period drama or something like that. And the main reason is because basically Mark wants us to focus on who Jesus is, and he wants us to see the big picture of who he is. And so today we're going to be looking at two interconnected stories um, to help us through that. And so the first part is Forgiveness is only possible with God. We're looking at verses 1 to 12. Okay. So Mark sets out uh, his view of who Jesus is in the first sentence of Mark, um, where he says that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God in verse 1. And then in Scripture we see this pattern uh, where basically God's people sin, And then they turn away from God, so then they get captured by an enemy, uh, by another nation. Um, And then they cry out for a deliverer to come, someone to save them. And so God provides them with that. He provides them with a a messiah of types. So I'm going to do a crown to help us see that. Um, But then the people sin again, and they kind of go on this cycle in, in Israel all the time. And ultimately, they're looking forward to this day when there'll be this divine messiah who comes, and he's going to be this super game changer to the whole thing. Now, at that time, the time we were just reading in Mark, you have uh, Roman occupation, and there were some religious leaders. Uh, Here's my religious leader here. Um, And they made massive efforts to be super religious, super good. So let's represent that with a halo. So... These guys believed that if you were really good, then God will provide you with that Messiah, and then He will free them from the Romans. Um, so that's their big, big aim. But as a result, you have the good guys, and then you have the sinners as well. And there was rumors in town that actually well, there was a, a Messiah here, which is very exciting, because they'd heard words that he speaks directly from God and that he heals the sick and uh, he destroys the power of demons in people's lives. So that's where we're thrown into our story. And the house is uh, full of people, uh, brimming with anticipation, uh, with cynicism as well. Who is this guy, Jesus? What's he doing here? Well, in verse two, it says that he was preaching the word. Think of the largest concert, the largest gig you went to. How did you travel there? What did you bring? Verse 3, we're introduced to the most inconvenient way to travel to a gig. Have you ever dragged a paralyzed man onto a rooftop? I'm wondering, like thinking about what what roofs are you willing to dig through to get to Jesus, to have Jesus in your life? The religious leaders, they uh, traveled from all the local towns to hear Jesus. And it's unclear whether they were coming because they were jealous of him, uh, because he had authority in a way that they didn't have. Or whether they were to check out whether he actually was the Messiah. And it's possible, we were hearing last week, that the way they heard about Jesus was when the man who was healed from leprosy went to the temple um, uh, to speak to them there. And that's maybe where they first heard about who Jesus is. We read that Jesus, he teaches with authority. And we get the word authority from author. And it helps to see um, uh, where Jesus gets his ideas from. He speaks directly from the author of life. And his truth cuts directly to our heart as well. Um, The Greek's on there as well, for anyone who speaks Greek. There's really interesting connections there, which I don't really understand. But, um, yeah, the the fact that authority comes directly from God. So what do we know about these religious guys? Well, we know that they're not squished in. They're sitting, it says. and it's likely that their fascination with correctness was actually stopping Jesus doing ministry. Can you imagine being there? Um, you're a religious leader and uh, you've been listening to Out for Jesus and you're thinking, hey, what, he could be like us. He's saying that it's really important to have a good relationship with God. Okay, let's listen up, maybe he's the one who helps us find the Messiah or maybe he's the Messiah and then suddenly the roof starts caving in, a whole lot of crumbling dust comes in, and then this man is lowered in through the roof, a sinner. So they saw this guy as a sinner. So Jesus recognised the act of faith. But what is faith? Faith is having a confidence in someone else's ability to be consistent, and it's an active word Um, It removes any obstacle to get to Jesus. It pushes through the crowd. You you know, you're willing to carry a man on the roof. You're willing to tear through a roof to get to Jesus because you're convinced that whatever he says and does is life-changing. What convinced him that Jesus could heal this man? Do we have the same confidence today? What is your impossible that you could be bringing to God? We, we all have faith in something. You know, all of us sitting here have faith in these chairs, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't sit on them. But it's all about what we have faith in. That's the key to it. We need to find something more reliable in our life. And these friends had great faith. Is there anyone, maybe in this room or elsewhere, that you can partner with um, to do, f- do faith, to um, show mercy to those around you? So... I think faith's a bit like a parachute because if anyone's gone skydiving you don't have faith in yourself, you have faith in the parachute. When Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralysed man, son your sins are forgiven. Jesus recognised the man's sins and gently told him that his sins are dealt with. Uh, Sin is anything that breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with one another and it screws up the world around us. It upturns the created order. Um, So I'm just going to take this off here like this and find that paralysed man because that's how the religious leaders saw him. He's a sinner. He's broken his relationship with God. He's broken his relationship with one another and as a result he's upturned the way that God's created things to be. There was something specific about this guy's sin that obviously was pounding in his heart because maybe it was even heavier than the reality that he couldn't walk. This man really needed forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Well, suppose someone took your TV or something really um, uh, important to you. Um, You would be rightfully angry at that point at the one who stole it. Now... Possibly there's some people in the room here thinking, if someone took my TV, it doesn't matter, I've got insurance. Well, you guys are rich, okay? So let's try thinking about this another way. Think about something that's really, really valuable to you, okay? Imagine someone took that away from you. How would you feel? And it's it's okay to be angry at that point. You need restoration of what was taken. You need uh, your relationship with the thief restored. And you need your relationship with God restored as well. Because it says in the Bible that um, whenever we sin, ultimately we're sinning against God. Um, Psalm 51 says, against you, God, you alone I have sinned. Now, if all of these things happen, then you get uh, justice. And forgiveness is, is casting away your right to judge. The person who forgives recognizes that they're not actually in a really good place to judge. Um, They will judge on their own power, and probably they'll judge badly as a result. Um, It'll probably end in vengeance, um, and it's not going to restore the relationship. They need God to deal with it. But hold on, let's have a look at this story specifically. Something's not right. Why on earth is Jesus forgiving this guy's sin? He's got nothing to do with it. I mean, imagine, I don't know. Donnie, uh, stole my TV, and then John said, ah, it's okay, Donnie, I forgive you. He like, he's nothing to do with it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fix the issue in any way at all. So let's turn back to the, uh, our righteous man. Um, let's call him righteous. Okay, his presuppositions are actually uh, correct. The Old Testament is super clear that God alone can forgive. So then Jesus is actually claiming to be God, um, which is not good. In Leviticus 24, 16, it says says there's the death penalty for anyone uh, who claims to be God. Yet according to Matthew's account of, of this story, Jesus thinks their thoughts are evil. So it seems that they're right that blaspheming is bad and that God alone can forgive. But Jesus thinks they're evil. So who is right? Is Jesus right or are the religious leaders right? Who's blaspheming? Well, the story deals with identity. It all comes down to whether Jesus is God or not. If he's not, then he deserves death, and his words have no power at all. But if he is God, then there's this monumental misunderstanding of who he is, which is devastating. And the interesting thing is, Mark lets us decide. So first off, Jesus can read their mind. In verse eight, he knew in his spirit what they were thinking. And here's just another reminder of how the spiritual world is just as alive as the world we see with our own eyes. So then Jesus sets a challenge. He says, what is easier? Is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, get up and walk to someone who can't walk? What's the answer? Well, it's easier to say that your sins are forgiven because it's really difficult to prove it either way, because you can't see it. But this man um, had a deep physical need, but he also had a deeper spiritual need. And the story helps us think in these terms. So often in life we don't think in terms of the spiritual world and the physical world. We just think about what we need right now, I'm hungry, I need some food, I need to do this job. We're not thinking that there's a spiritual world happening at the same time. And then we, you know, with all the issues that we have to deal with, there's literally no hope at all unless our relationship with God is in a good place. So he's healed, but more importantly, he's forgiven. And we've seen forgiveness is saying that I'm not a good judge to to, forgive, I'm not in the right place to judge at this point, so I'm going to pass on that judgment to God. But how does it work? How can God uh, remove someone's sin and still be just? The word used in verse 5 for forgiveness, uh, the Greek word is kind of this idea of casting your sin away, saying that the power of sin on you is no longer there. But where does the sin go? And, and how is justice brought about? What about anger? Where does that go when forgiveness happens? Well, recently, as in this week, um, I had a situation where someone calls me uh, a fair bit of harm, uh, uh, they said something about me that wasn't true, which had a, a big impact on my uh, reputation. Um, and so naturally I was pretty angry at them and I wanted justice. And, uh, but justice in my mind meant that I wanted to punch him in the face, which wouldn't be justice, that would be more like rage. And, um, and so there wouldn't be any good fruit that came from that. And so I needed to forgive him particularly as I was doing this talk this week. (laughs) Um, But what what does forgiveness actually look look like and where does that anger actually go? Because the situation is I genuinely have forgiven him and I'm not angry at him at all. And actually, as a result of that, he's responded saying, "Um, no, things are cool now. Uh, Sorry for what I did. So God used it. So we have to go back to the, the opening question of who is Jesus? For forgiveness to work. He's the Messiah and he's the Son of God. What is he like? Well we have the problem of sin which stops us from knowing God but God loves us so much that the eternal Son of God chose to come to live among sinners to live a perfect sinless life. But if God is a good God and a just God, he can't ignore sin, can he? It must be dealt with. And he doesn't love us more than he hates sin. I'm going to say that again because it's really important. God does not love us more than he hates sin. If he was, then he wouldn't be just at all. He perfectly loves and he's perfectly just. But where can love and justice find peace? How on earth does that work? Well, Jesus' claims to be God led the religious leaders to have Jesus die on a cross. And at the cross, Jesus died the death that we deserve. He took that punishment. Every single sin that we had done gets put onto Jesus at the cross. So Let's do that. Every single sin, every single injustice gets put on Jesus. And God punishes Jesus in our place as a Messiah He's a man who represents humanity perfectly. And as the son of God, he is divine and can be the perfect sacrifice. So when someone forgives, they're letting God deal with justice. And all the sin falls on Jesus at the cross. So this week when I said to my friend, I forgive you, all the things that he did wrong against me is put on Jesus at the cross. And the sin no longer has any power, because judgment has passed on to Jesus. So justice has happened. But the paralyzed man is a visual picture of that good news, of that gospel story. He, like us, is helpless, and there's no chance of us being able to get to God on our own. And Jesus became helpless for us, dying on the cross, and he was buried. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Romans 6, 4 says, uh, We therefore were, were buried with him, in order that just as Christ was raised from life through the glory of the Father, we too may be raised to new life. And so, he was raised in the same way we are raised. So now we can walk in newness of life and praise God for it. But our. Why am I you're a sinner. We're all sinners. That's right, Michael. We're all sinners. Are our lives changed enough through the gospel so that people say, we have never seen anything like this before? There's a big challenge. This brings us to part two. The, um, the artist Michelangelo uh, would rarely sign his artwork. Instead, he would paint a picture of his own face in most of the pictures he did. And one of his early sculptures, an absolute masterpiece Uh, It was such a masterpiece that people couldn't believe that him as such a young artist had created it. So then he storms into the church in the middle of the night and he scratches his name on it because it drove him mad, the idea that someone else might get credit for his work. So it brings us to the story of Levi, um, who's also known as Matthew. Matthew wrote uh, Matthew's Gospel and even though Matthew's Gospel was absolute genius, he never credits himself. So you know at the beginning of our Bibles, we have the name of the people. That's not there in the original. He doesn't draw attention to himself. So what made Matthew, or Levi, so humble? Let's have a look at his story. When we introduced to Matthew, he's called Levi, and he's a tax collector, which is more like a Nazi informer, or a mole, um, than a boring accounts person. Tax collectors at that time were super corrupt, and they worked for the enemy. But then Jesus chose to hang out with him. Jesus chose someone of bad character, of bad company. And then Levi throws this party and he invites all his mates along, other outcasts. And it's, um, it's unclear whether when Levi met Jesus that it was his first encounter um, or whether Levi happened to hear some of his uh, incredible teaching. It's unclear. Um, but what we do know is that Levi left behind his old life It's literally dead to him. Just like the paralytic, Levi um, was a picture of the gospel. His old way was dead, and then he rose from the tax collector's booth in the same way as Jesus rises from the dead. No longer taking money from other people, he's now living a life for Jesus. And this is perhaps why um, he changed his name from Levi to Matthew. Matthew means gift of the Lord. So Jesus doesn't just save people from their sin, but he transforms their life. It makes you wonder what what it does to you if every day you're cheating people out of their money. Years and years of not dealing with a problem of a series of bad choices. Then Jesus comes along and drags him out of that life. And there's something about Levi's job, the fact that he left his job was significant uh, for him. Uh, I don't think we're all supposed to do that when we become Christians but um, perhaps it was helpful for him because maybe he knew Greek and Aramaic and that might have helped in writing Matthew's Gospel. So Levi left his old job and his old way of doing things, but he didn't leave his friends behind. He wanted them to meet Jesus as well and to transform their lives. Are we meeting people where they're at? Are we eating and sharing life with outcasts? At that time, eating... and to some degree today, but at that time specifically, eating was a sign of friendship and of acceptance. So it was actually a really, really big deal uh, that Jesus decided to hang out with, with Levi and his friends. So verse 16 is the inevitable response of people who think they're right with God. Remember, these guys were convinced that if you turn to God on your own strength, you'll remove the Romans. And these sinners were, were not there to be encouraged, but to be condemned. This is their view. These religious leaders confronted the disciples, partly because they were cowards, but also probably because they wanted to sow a seed of doubt. So these righteous people were actually self-righteous. They, they weren't putting their trust in Jesus, they are putting their trust in themselves. And when Jesus heard that they complained, Uh, Jesus made very, very clear why he's here. Verse 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. One of the biggest misconceptions about Christianity is the idea that we have to be a good person to come to God. And Jesus smashes that idea out of the park. He makes it so clear there's literally nothing we can do to know God on our own strength. Our sin is like we're a sick person who needs a doctor. That's what our sin is like. And Jesus is our doctor. There is no promise in scripture that if you have something physically wrong with you, that God will heal it. There's no promise of that. But there is a promise, even though it's possible for him to do it, and he does it today, and I pray he keeps doing it in this church, There's no guarantee of that. But there is a guarantee that if you ask God for forgiveness, God's got a big heart and he welcomes you, even though we don't deserve it. Um, That's how he forgives. So Jesus has come for sick sinners. Maybe some of the religious folk were wondering, maybe Jesus could join our bunch of people. He could start speaking like us. Uh, I've heard he's a good teacher. Maybe he could help with some teaching points, but we could work together to do our thing. Well, this ends that audition, doesn't it? Because Jesus has a completely different way of looking at the world to these religious folk. When we read this story, particularly if we've been in church for a while, maybe we're not shocked by what's on the page. But try doing it. How about this week? Invite a homeless person into your house to have dinner with. Or share a faith with a prostitute. Jesus hasn't called us to an easy life. I'm really serious about this. Jesus hasn't called any one of us to an easy life. Jesus has brought the message of redemption to tax collectors, adulterers, robbers, outsiders, and they experienced um, that repentance, which means a complete reversal from the past. So let's be clear, these religious folk weren't wrong about these people being sinners. They were. Levi was a sinner the paralytic was a sinner, and everyone else they're judging is a sinner. But what they were wrong about is that they themselves are sinners. They didn't realise that. And they thought that even if they did sin, they could redeem it themselves. I mean, they were, they were kind of putting a wall in front of Jesus the whole time and saying, look, do things our way, it'd be much better. And they were trying to stop people get to the doctor who needed help. So what barriers are we putting up to stop people getting to Jesus? The religious leaders completely misunderstood who Jesus was. He alone can forgive. He forgives with his words, but he also forgives with his deeds. He's the son of God. So the question is, who's blaspheming in the story? Jesus describes their thoughts as evil because they didn't realize that he was the son of God. So these self-righteous people were expecting Messiah to fix their nation, and they were looking in all the wrong places. So the big question is, if these religious folk were genuinely not sick, which is what they thought were the case, what were they supposed to be doing? If you're thinking, I'm not sick, I don't, you know, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, what they were supposed to do was connecting Jesus with those who need it most. So Jesus could have achieved the same goal in these stories without conflict. His aim was to provoke. He was provoking them on purpose. The way Jesus does fellowship literally violates the religious and social conventions. Jesus enters a sinner's house because this is a way of doing, doing forgiveness, it's active forgiveness. He doesn't go there because he, he agrees with their lifestyle, but he goes there to transform their lives. So what is easier? Is it easier to say to someone that you forgive them? Or is it easier to treat someone as if they've never done anything wrong? Jesus never ever takes the easy option, and we shouldn't either. And so then in the story you've got this banquet of misfits uh, of people coming all the way around jesus and it's a way of looking forward to the ultimate banquet in heaven when all sorts of forgiven sinners will be hanging out with jesus and i hope every one of us will be there too in the other story jesus publicly forgave the paralytic um and he did this because he wanted to teach the religious leaders something i mean he could have just taken the the guy aside and said, Your sins are forgiven. But he did it really obviously and openly. Because he was provoking these religious leaders to assess where they're at. So are we like the religious folk? Let's go and find this r- religious guy. There he is. Rip him out. Are we like the religious guy who's quick to judge and ignorant of his own need for a spiritual doctor? Jesus was offering a chance to be healed. These religious leaders were in complete spiritual paralysis. Are we hypocritical, envious, rigid, formulaic? Is our church a church for outcasts? Or are we part of the established church? Are we a church for the disgraced, for the shamed, for the no-hopers? I mean, look around this church, who do you see? Do you see a whole bunch of people who are the heart of what Streatham is? Or do we see a bunch of people who are desperate to move to Balaam because they've got nicer houses? <laughs> or, or to the countryside? What do we see? Right, let's take the sinner. There's the sinner. Maybe you feel like the outcast. Maybe like the paralytic or, the, um, or like Levi. You're an outcast. Well, Jesus brings hope. He brings hope of transformation. He does it in a way where you can say goodbye to the past without having to compromise who you are. Remember, Levi was still able to hang out with his mates, um, and he didn't have to be like the religious leaders. He could be himself. So you can be transformed and still be who you are and let Jesus do do the changing. So let's look to Jesus, the only one who can heal us. Perhaps you need to be reminded of this today. I mean, perhaps even you need to be reminded that you're a sinner. But maybe you need to be reminded that there's a saviour as well. Perhaps you need to use your privileged position to reach out to those who haven't encountered Jesus yet. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to forgive someone in this room. I mean, today would be a really great place to start on that. If you think about doctors today, doctors can do amazing things, incredible things. And maybe a materialist will think, proudly say, we can fix a man's leg if it's broken. We can do amazing things. But can a materialist change the heart of a man? With the story of Levi, we saw a complete turnaround of his life. So the crowds, they saw Jesus and they said, we have never seen anything like this before. So let me pray. Father God, thank you that you alone can change our hearts. Help us not to settle for the ordinary, a life dedicated to comfort, self-righteousness and judgement of others. Rather help us to realise that we are dead without Christ and others are too. Help us to show compassion to those who need it and to learn how to take that difficult life. Learn how to take that difficult road. Help us to trust you. Lord, help us um, not to focus on our own uh, problems. Um, Help us to be more outward-looking as a church. Help us to love one another. And Lord, help us to uh, this week to see opportunities to uh, share faith and our privilege with those around us who need your help. And Lord, help us to recognise our own sin as well and our need for a saviour. Amen.